Hello, my name is Lee Eric Fesco, and I'm the Director of Discipleship here at Christ Presbyterian Church. And, and I know what some of you might be thinking. What happened? Did you draw the short straw? How, how did you end up being the one who gets to teach on submission? Well, that's a longer story I won't get into, but be that as it may, the point is this passage has some very difficult themes to it and a few phrases and words that, that make us uncomfortable. If you haven't already read through this week's study uh, uh, of the scriptures that we're doing, you should do that now and see what I'm talking about. We're covering 1 Peter 2.11 through 1 Peter 3.7. And the theme of this particular study is one we've entitled Rightly Ordered Submission. So go ahead and pause this video and read that passage if you haven't already. But, but just for kicks, here are a few of the highlights, a few passages that might give us pause. 1 Peter 2.13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Or how about 1 Peter 2.18, servants, be subject to your master with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Wow. And, and uh, what about the one on, on, on wives and husbands in chapter three, those verses, how do we explain those? Yes, certainly these are hard themes without question. They're hard because they're, they're counterintuitive from a cultural standpoint. These kinds of statements run contrary to what most people would feel inclined to observe in our day and age. But even from the Christian standpoint, how do we reconcile these kinds of verses with what we understand about justice? or with what we understand about men and women both being co-heirs of Christ. Like I said, these are difficult themes. And to be sure, no, in less than 15 minutes, I won't be able to set your heart and mind at ease about all of it. But I think I can, in 15 minutes, help us frame our hearts and minds around who we are in Christ. And if we have a better sense of that, we can approach any difficult passage with a set of eyes that moves us closer to understanding what the writer had in mind. So first let's divide, let's divide our passage into two parts. Let's first talk about authority in general. We want to talk about authority in general, and then we'll talk a little bit about men and women. But first the idea of submitting to authority, even if it's an evil authority, as, as, uh, as Peter describes it, as Peter, Peter is telling us here in, in verse 13, we are to be subject to every human institution. And again, in verse 18, we should be subject to our masters with all respect, not only to the good but the, and gentle, but also to the unjust. Now, why on earth would the Bible ask us to do something like that? Why, why do I need to give any respect whatsoever to any authority that might be unjust? The first thing we have to ask ourselves is, what is God's purpose in us? That's the first thing we have to understand. What is God's purpose in us? What is God's, what is God's will for your life? Would you like to know God's will for your life? People ask that all the time. What's God's will for my life? Would you like to know? Because I'll tell you. I'll tell you right now. We read in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3. It's the first part of the verse, and it says this. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. This is the will of God, your sanctification. There it is. That's His, that's his will for you, to be sanctified. So what does that mean? What does it mean to be sanctified? If we look at the, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, it gives us a really simple definition. It's question 35, and the, and the answer says this. Sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby 
Here's, here's the part I really want you to hear, okay? Whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God. We'll say it again. Whereby we are renewed in the whole image after, in the whole, we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and enabled more and more to die into sin and live under righteousness. God's will for your life is that you would be made more and more like him more and more like his son. His daily work in you is to make you like Christ. That's his will for you. And he will do it. In fact, he's never not doing that. That's his end for you, to make you like his son. So, so if that's the end, what's, what are the means? What are the means? Well, now we're talking about what practically the whole book of 1 Peter is about. The whole theme of the, of the book is centered around the idea of, of suffering. The Christians that Peter is writing to, he, he, he's preparing them to face the kind of suffering that you and I really have very little context for. You, you and I have likely not suffered the way that these early Christians did. And, and Peter's emphasis here is that suffering is not just a byproduct of a fallen world. Rather, it's a vehicle. It's a vehicle for the Christian, a means of bringing about your sanctification. So what is suffering? Yes, we suffer because the world is broken. It is a byproduct of sin. But God just doesn't throw up his hands and say, oh, well, I guess I've got to deal with this, right? I guess I got to deal with a broken world. God doesn't even say, let's see if I can make lemonade out of these lemons. It's not like he's making the best of, of what he's got. If, for instance, in Genesis, in, uh, in, when Joseph was, was speaking to his brothers, The brothers who were first going to leave him for dead then decided to sell him off to a a band of travelers. Years later, years later when they were reunited and and Joseph was the second most powerful man on earth uh, and, and, and and, and his brothers were essentially at his mercy, facing famine, what did Joseph say to his brothers? Genesis 50, 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. He meant it for good. That language expresses purposefulness. It's not that God is making the best of the situation. The language there suggests crafting or designing. There, there's a real intentionality in this. When God, uh, while God does not cause the evil, he crafts it or he reweaves it to be purposeful and constructive for your sanctification. Do you see how a thought like that can frame our thoughts on on how we look at submitting to authorities, even ungodly or unjust ones. When God tells us to yield to authority, whether they be good or bad people, we need to understand that God places that authority in its place by his sovereign design. He does that. Again, he's not doing the best with what he's got, right? Uh, He's he's using these these pieces, these people, intentionally, purposefully to achieve his objective of sanctifying you, of making you to be like Christ. And you know what? Instead of saying all that, I could have just read for you again, verse 21 from 1 Peter 2. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, but he's not just an example, right? These actions are doing something else. What is it they're doing? What are the other uh, actions? This verse concludes, so that you might follow in his steps. You're following in his footsteps. Submitting to authority, good or bad, 
is not an end unto itself. It's a means to something greater. It's a means of getting more Christ in you. Do you have a, a terrible boss? God is using that boss to make you like Christ. Are you unhappy uh, with the mayor, the governor, uh, the president? God is telling you to honor them, honor their office. God placed them there for what purpose? To mold you and shape you into the image of Christ. Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Authority, all authority is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will and, and he uses it for your sanctification. So, so take heart, so take heart in suffering. Take, take heart in submitting to the authorities that exist in your world. God placed them there and he uses them purposefully, intentionally to shape his people into the image of his son. His own son, having all authority, having all authority himself, set it aside. Jesus set his authority aside and became a servant for the sake of his brothers. This is the image into which you're being cast. Now, how do we take that? And if we understand that a little bit better, how do we take that to help us inform on what these scriptures say about submitting in marriage and, and, and on the roles of men and women in the church? Am I comparing unjust and evil authorities to husbands and men? Well, gosh, I hope not because I happen to be both a husband and a man. But do you see what the ultimate objective is in the context of discussing authority? The ultimate objective is your sanctification, to be like Christ. So rather than thinking of authority in terms of, of who's in charge, right? Maybe we need to think about it in terms of how, how is the situation I'm in, whether I'm male, female, married, or single, how is this situation I'm in conforming me to the likeness of Christ? Again, in the time I have left, I'm not going to be able to answer whether or not we should be more complementarian or, or egalitarian. But what I can tell you is that the scriptures call us to be like Christ, whether we are the head or the subject. Yes, the scriptures tell us that, the, that wives should be subject to your own husbands, even if they don't obey the word. But the scriptures also tell us that husbands are to love their wives in the ways that Christ loved the church. He gave himself up for the church. He died for her. In other words, in the Christian view of authority... There is no room to say me first. Me before you is not a part of authority in, in the formula for, the, for, for authority in the Christian. In other words, the Bible allows for authority, but at the same time, it insists upon selflessness. The Bible allows for authority, but leaves no room for selfishness. Both the husband and the wife, the man and the woman are charged with taking on the posture of humility, each serving the other. Why? Because this is what Christ did for us. I just alluded to this a moment ago, Philippians 2, 5 and following. What does it tell us? Jesus did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, right? But instead, what did he do? He emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. You see, if we're being shaped to be like Christ, what is Christ calling all of us to be. He's calling all of us to be servants, every last one of us. This is what we do because this is who we are. People who reflect the behavior of Christ were a people 
so overwhelmed with what Christ has done for us that we can't help but be reflections of him. We begin to imitate his behavior. We begin to start doing what he does and acting as he acts. So to sum it up, my my prayer for you, which again, I I believe this is what the scripture is, is calling us to do. Whether you're a boss or a subordinate, whether you're the public official or the citizen, the husband or the wife, each one of us is called to reflect the character of Christ who lived to serve. May we all be more like Christ.